Hello and welcome into the Section 109 podcast. This is Breezy, and it is hotter than Satan's butthole in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It fe- they feels like temperature is 106, and it makes me want to just lay on the couch and do absolutely nothing. Matthew, you are coming uh, to me through a computer screen in a place that I believe is much cooler. Uh, some people yeah, refer to it as the Great White North. Yeah, the temperature is currently 60 degrees outside, so it's perfect. Tell the listeners where you are. I am currently in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And what does your forecast for the week look like? Uh, a lot of rain, not going to lie. Uh, I think I'm here nine days, and including today, there's going to be seven days of rain. Including, by the way, a game day. So it may not be Chattanooga. It may just be me attending a match. Well, we might have to just uh, ban you from attending matches then. But you know well, what? Listen, I've missed a couple, and we've been winning. So uh. You know what we did do uh, this week is we had two matches, and unfortunately, you uh, had this thing like called friends. They got married, and I think you need new friends first of all. Yeah. Um, well, first off, it's just really annoying, and they only get one. So I hope I hope it was good. So if they get a second, if either one get a second marriage, you're not going. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> Uh, but we, we missed you. We missed you. But the good part is um, when you do a rewatch, at, like after you know the results, sometimes that can be uh, a really good time. So let's just dive straight in. Uh, there was a doubleheader on Saturday. Awesome turnout at the tailgate. Great time. It was hot, man. I am still tired, genuinely, from Saturday. Uh, and the heat just absolutely took it out of me. Um, I'm sure it took it out of everybody. So uh, unbelievable performance from the fans who stayed for the entire two games, um, plus tailgated from you know 11 a.m. or 12 a.m. in the mo- or 12 noon. I see, I don't even know what time it was uh, in the morning. And then you know I was I know I didn't leave CBC till close to 1:30 in the morning or something like that. And there's still people around as well. So um, yeah, it was really fun. Nice to see Coach Fuller. Um, you know, nice to see some of the Syracuse guys. But the important part is we got the three points uh, for the men's team. And the women's team, well, spoiler alert, did not get the three points, but looked better against an opponent that beat us 3 nothing last time, and I feel like was pretty unlucky, again, spoiler alert here, pretty unlucky to come out with a 2-1 loss. So let's kind of talk about that 2-1 loss, Matthew. I know we have some uh, pretty detailed notes here, and I'll let you get us started off. Yeah, so uh, I knew that. I, I was not able to watch this game. I got to watch the men's game live uh, because I just put it on my phone at the wedding, well, at the reception. But the uh, the women's game was during the wedding portion itself, uh, so I didn't get a chance to watch. And I knew the scoreline, and I was curious. Uh, I think I think when I when I heard it was two nil in a hurry uh, in that in that period of the first half, I was like, well, you know, maybe maybe this is kind of the same old from the last time we played Alabama FC. And then I watched the match, and you know what? Honestly, like. I think I think on on some days we win that match, on some days we draw that match, and this weekend we lost that match. Um, but I, I think I think you can you can definitely see that the the principles of how to play that that Coach Randy Douglas is trying to implement uh, are taking root. You can definitely start to see uh, some substitution patterns. And and some players really carving out their spot and what they're what they're able to do with the ball, and uh, you know I wasn't at the first Alabama FC match, so I don't I don't really un, you know have a lot to go on uh, in comparison. But this seems like a, it's a lot better, uh, and that's not surprising. I think we I think we all expected that things were going to improve over time. 
but you know, we've, I, I think we made a lot of good progress and, you know, we'll have another match in a couple, you know, on Wednesday. So I hope they learned a lot. Yeah. So I think this was a vastly different game. Uh, Alabama was missing one of their um, better players. I, some of our girls told me after the game, we were ch- chatting at the, at the bar and they were saying like, you know, we feel like we played better, but it sucks to lose. Um, a lot of them were not happy and I don't blame them. You know, they, they want to win. So they, I was like, well, you know, you guys really did a good job of containing that um, forward with the knee brace, the blonde girl, number nine with the knee brace. They were like, yeah, she's really good, but they were missing another really good player who I didn't remember, honestly, from last time. So it must not have been that good. Uh, no, just kidding. Obviously, she must have been. Uh, I, the, one of the big differences, they were not able to do the substitution thing they did last time. Last time, they were substituting three players at a time every, like, five minutes. I mean, it was just brutal. This time, they only had maybe three substitutes total, and I think they had an injury early, so they ended up with only two substitutes available. So they were coming in and out. They were still subbing players in and out, but it was one and sometimes two at a time. And uh, that, I think, really did help us because... They really chopped the game down. They could last time, and they couldn't do it this time. There were ball, there were ball kids throwing the ball in. They couldn't waste time that way, and they couldn't just check in three players at a time to keep running. So, uh, I was really happy about that, um, and I was happy. The first few minutes were rough, and let's talk about those. But I think after that, we played pretty well. And like you said, the one big thing that I've noticed is players are starting to carve out not just their roles, but kind of like take take like hold of some of those spots and, and really make them their own. And you're seeing maybe not the starting lineup um, and maybe not the players that are going to play 80 minutes, right? Because in, in the WPSL, you're just going to sub a lot, but we're seeing players play a lot more minutes and the same players play a lot more minutes throughout the game. And I think that's very good because we're, we're getting better and we're figuring it out and the, the chemistry is developing and all those things. Um, so I don't see the starting lineup here in your notes. Do you have it handy by chance? <laughs> no, I, I'm going to uh, let me, let me, I, I put it somewhere to save it for this occasion. And then I, I just forgot to put it into the notes. So we'll do this live. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Uh, do it live. I'm going to look up um, the starting lineup. Maybe you'll find it before I do, uh, but I'll look it up Why? here on my, on my other monitor to make sure we have it because I do want to compare, um, you know, the, the starting lineup and see what has changed from, from last week. So while you look up the lineup for this week, if you, as you look for it, I'm going to look for it as well, but I'm also going to pull up the lineups from the last two weeks. Cause I did not put that in our document of notes here. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I, I can already tell you uh, the, the front, the front two, the forwards were, were unchanged uh, going back to back to keeper. Abby Sadler uh, was back uh, and started with Caroline Johnson moving to the bench uh, the move to play uh, Caitlin Caminiti at left back uh, held. And then at the back, uh, Avery Catlett moves to left center back and Atlanta at right center back. A new signing uh, that was announced very late on Friday night uh, is uh, MJ Park, uh, who played her college ball at Carson Newman. She was the right back. Uh, Sierra Ruetten moved to the six. CC. Yeah, CC. Oh. Uh, you've got Isabel Aguilar on the right of the diamond, Sierra Bowl on the left of the diamond, and the Jasmine Marquez at the 10. By the way, we owe somebody an apology. Um, we're idiots, uh, which I think we've been pretty clear about that. But if you don't know, like we are absolutely idiots. Uh, and we didn't realize it is not Sierra Bowl, but it is Kira Bowl. Uh, Kira. It's That's- Kira. Okay. Yeah. It's, okay. it's Kira. So CC is CC. Um, 
so her name is Sierra as well, but it is, it is Kira. We were um, Kira. kind Kira, of, Kira, sort Kira, of Kira, close, Kira. I guess, but our bad, Kira. That was, um, that was our bad. I hope you never hear this, because um, you know maybe you wouldn't know please, that we messed this please up. Please no. But I got a text message uh, from somebody that listened to our last one. She was like, um, just so you know, and I was like, Shit. <laughs> I'm like, we knew, we did know we were gonna get a few of these wrong, but I really thought we had that one right. But sorry about that. Uh, no disrespect me- uh, meant we. Uh, we're just dumb. So I, I thought it was very interesting um, that Avery Catlett moved back into the back line. That was something that mm-hmm. um, I had personally, I think on this podcast and off said that I thought was important. Um, not that she wasn't good in the midfield, but that I thought she was really a game changer with the plays she was able to make. And I think when you see, I, I do believe that those two players, Avery Catlett and Anna Lanter are your two, that's your best center back pairing. Um, that's my opinion. I, I've not obviously seen enough game footage to be positive that that's the case, but that is my that is my feeling. And that's two very good athletes, which is very helpful. Some of the forwards in this league can really, really play, and both with speed and with like good technical ability. And you, so you have to have center backs that can do both. Um, so I was interested to see that. I think Cam and Nitty's really kind of nailed that left back spot. Um, not that. Polly was out this game, obviously, so I don't know, you know, how that looks. But Caminetti's played a lot of minutes at that left back spot, and then Polly had moved actually to the right back spot before her uh, unfortunate Polly did nothing wrong red card uh, last game. So, and shout out Polly for being in the section; it was wonderful to see you yesterday. Um, but yeah, MJ Park moving in a right back, I did think that was uh, extremely interesting. Um, and then Kira, Kira Bull uh, playing a lot of minutes now and wearing that ten yeah. as as we kind of predicted, like wearing that ten. Uh, I am. I, I will uh, let me note something real quick. Yeah. Uh, because of the there were you know Avery Catlin moving to to left center back, uh, uh, Rocio uh, Carrizales was not listed in the uh, twenty woman roster. So mm, okay, good. Could good. be could be an absence. Could be an injury. We don't know. Uh, so that that could be uh, Carrizales has started the last two games at at center back. So that could be a move that was made. Out of necessity, who knows? And I do know we have some injuries. Um, CFC does not release injury reports, but uh, some of the players told me after the game, yeah, we're missing out on some girls. Like we're gonna, it's gonna be a tough because we had some more injuries in this game. Um, they're like it's gonna be tough this Wednesday. So um, yeah, it's in a. Uh, luckily, I think it is a deep roster at least in overall numbers, and we'll see what happens. I was also, I'm also really interested to see if not that May Pierce wasn't good. May Pierce was fine. She did a lot of running, but I thought that um, Kaylee Bur- Burrell. I think I got her name right this time. I messed up her first name last podcast. Uh, her, I thought her introduction, she was very dynamic. I thought that Jackie Montez was also very dynamic. Now, I don't know if they're a good balance to see them play together. That's something we'll have to wait and see. But I will be interested to see if we see them play some minutes together um, as a defensive, as a dynamic, excuse me, uh, offensive duo. So, all right, let's get started a little bit with the timeline and kind of uh, give a recap on this baby. Yeah, so in the first few minutes, I thought we were... I don't want to say we were bad because we weren't bad. I thought, I thought we struggled a little bit with with Alabama FC's athleticism uh, in the first couple of minutes. Just just figuring out the speed of play. Their number nine, their forward. It's not one. They have several forwards that are very good, but their number nine blonde girl with a knee brace is very good. And they have another girl with a knee brace that I don't remember her number that comes off the bench that's also very good. She just, I don't think they start at the same time. I think they come in for each other and. They're, they are a real handful. It's just, uh, I mean, it's not even so much like trying to defend that side of the ball. Uh, it's more just like acclimating to the speed of play that the game is going to take place at. And I thought we were a little slow to get there in the first, in the first few minutes. 
and I mean, even in the first minute, there's a, there's a, there's a giveaway in midfield that leads to a chance. Um, a couple minutes later, there's another one. And it's, um, you know, it's a little, it's a little concerning because you don't want to, you don't want to start out at home uh, and immediately make mistakes to put yourself under it. Um, outside of, outside of the giveaways though, I, I didn't think we were, I didn't think we were like, you know, slow, slow to step or slow to the ball or anything like that. I thought, I thought we, we found our groove fairly quickly after just a couple of mistakes. Um, and then it just became kind of a slugfest. Uh, there wasn't, there didn't seem like there was a lot of action on in the, in the first stretch. Uh, I think, you know, from probably the fifth minute to minute 20 for that period of the game, I thought we were pretty good. Uh, thought it was it was pretty even. Uh, we made we made a couple big mistakes. Uh, one was a midfield turnover, I think, in the fifteenth minute. One was uh, just a bad read of a of a ball coming in by one of the defenders in the twentieth minute. Uh, and Alabama had had a couple opportunities to score and couldn't take advantage of it. Um, but it, it was it was a much better period overall than. Then the first couple of minutes, we, we found our legs and we got into the game, uh, made a couple subs in there as well. Uh, Cam and was out for about four minutes. Uh, she went from, she went from left back to on the bench to right back uh, happened. Uh, that was also in the period where uh, MJ Park was subbed out. Uh, so Cam and showing that she can play both outside back spots. Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of substitutions now. It seems like a lot of rotation at those outside back spots. I wonder if we're going to see Rod asking for a lot of running from his outside backs. Um, we Randy. S- Did I say Rod? Mm-hmm. Sorry, Randy. Sorry, Rod. Uh, I, <laughs> our names. Can we get like a you know a James in, in this to keep the names like a little somewhere separate? Sorry, Randy. I wonder if Randy's going to ask for, similar to how Rod asks of his outside backs, I wonder if Randy's going to ask the outside backs to do a lot more running now because we did see also in previous games Anna Lanter switch several times between outside back and center back. So we're yeah. seeing a lot of substitutes happen, not at the center back position, but at the, I mean, except for when we're switching out the outside backs, but a lot at the outside backs. And I wonder if that's a, function a or a feature so to speak of his uh of his game plan yeah uh there's a hydration break around the 26th minute uh that's where caminetti comes back in 29th minute uh alabama get a goal uh it's a decent combination play in midfield and a good a really good dummy that takes out the defender and it's just a bit of a breakaway uh and good finish by the attacker and we go we go one nil down and we made a couple we made a couple changes in the next couple minutes. Um, and the second goal, the second goal hurts a little bit. Um, I think uh, it hurt a lot for Abby Sadler. Well, yeah, we can, we can get to that too. Um, you know, shot comes in, uh, Sadler saves it. Um, and one of the Alabama players is able to, to scoop the ball and, uh, and score, I, I only looked at it a couple of times and I thought I thought there's there's probably a reasonable shout for a foul. I really thought live live I really thought it was a foul. I have not full disclosure I've not rewatched that play. Um, um but I thought I really thought there was a foul in that play. We all did. Yeah, I mean like I I just the way the way that Sadler goes down and stays down uh, and here's the thing, here's the thing that made me really frustrated. In this game the referee who first of all did a 
very poor job. I felt like called it really tight, really tight. So like a bunch of times towards the end of the game, but all throughout the game, a one of our forwards would be running towards the ball and a defender would come over and body them between. So creating the contact and then immediately if they didn't call a foul on our player, the, the referee would come and talk to our player and be like, that's a foul. Don't do that again because the ball would roll out of bounds. They wouldn't get to it. So they wouldn't actually call the foul. They would just give the ball to the goalkeeper. But then these were like in not fouls. You were 50-50 balls or it was the defender creating the contact. And so it was just really ticky-tack. And I felt like all throughout the game, she called these, like the referee called these plays really close. And I don't think they were fouls. And then the goalkeeper basically gets kicked in the face or kicked. I looked to me like she got kicked in the face. And it's not a foul. Like, come on, man. Like, just make it consistent. And I felt like we got, we were really, really penalized by just not the inconsistency. Like, if that's not a foul, then those other ones are not fouls. Like, Damaris got called for, I don't know how many fouls, for just trying to get to the ball and players shielding her off. And she was not, like, being particularly, like, you know, you, somebody is too aggressive, right? And they, like, they push somebody over or they, to me, uh, no, I, I'm not going to say to me. It was just, it was not that, those were not fouls. Like, they, it was just a referee calling things super tight if the, if the attacker touched the defender while trying to go for the ball. Like, it was just, and these were shoulder to shoulder sometimes. It was just bullshit. So, I, I think that based on that in particular, that has to be a foul. But, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, you, you go down 2-0, it's 37th minute. And, uh, and I mean, like, and I, and I just feel like this is just super unlucky. Uh, and that that ball, I felt like was unlucky. The fact she saved it, it bounced right back, it bounced yeah, around, and yeah. then it scooped right in. It's just, it, it just you go down two nil like that. It's just a, a pretty unlucky sequence. I mean, maybe Alabama should do better with with a couple of the chances that we gifted them earlier in the match. But by this point in the game, it doesn't feel like goals are just going to show up for Alabama, right? Like they weren't creating know, big chances on their they own. Weren't, they weren't creating big chances at all, and we weren't creating much at that point in time. But it still felt the game felt even, and so it's it's rough to it's rough to go down two nil there. Much like the first half of the the, first, the other Alabama game when we played away, yeah, we were it was an even game. Uh, we were unlucky to go down one nothing. Now in the second half, the other game they were better than us. But in this first half of this game, I don't feel like they were particularly better than us. And again, it felt like we were just unlucky to be not just unlucky, but also unlucky to be down. So we go into the half down to having made a, having made a goalkeeper sub, which doesn't there's no substitutes count in this for anything weird, but it yeah. is it is not normal that you substitute a goalkeeper uh, unless you are who did we play last week to sub their goalkeeper Knoxville? <laughs> no, we did not play Knoxville. Who did we, we play, play last North, week? Al- North, North Alabama. Alabama? One of the teams I get all, I got uh, yeah we're about to play uh, Knoxville away. I don't know why I, did, I remember oh, that wrong. Knoxville home. We're about to play Knoxville away too. That's our next away game that we can that I can go to. I'm, exci- uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. Um, but yeah, I, I they they subbed their goalkeeper in the second half after we scored the second goal um, when we were down a down a player and we were still uh, pushing to score. Yeah. So, so we something. I mean, I, I wonder what what kind of tactical adjustments or motivational pieces or whatever Coach Randy did because the second half is a completely different story. And and I'm gonna guess now that now that you mentioned that there was you know, maybe only three subs or something like that for available for Alabama three and then down to two and then maybe down to one by the end of the game, which so last like, time they had, they, they were, they were not running a big roster last time by their big squad. They probably only had six subs last time total, but they made them like three every five minutes. I mean, it was just yeah. line changes all the time. So, so not having a lot of subs, you know, it, it's by, by halftime, it's five thirty PM. 
so everyone's baking, right? So I, I can understand that they were a little bit slower and, and we were a little bit, you know, a little bit more into the game in, in the second half. And, and that could explain some things, but we came out, we played well, like immediately, immediately did some work um, to, to start creating chances. Um, Jackie Montez does an incredible job. She makes this, like holds the ball up, makes this great turn on the sideline, wins a corner out of it. And there was already, a, a, I think, I think there was already like a half chance that didn't amount to anything right. Even right before that. And Isabel Aguilar comes over to take the corner and a little reversal of the first goal, um, the first goal last weekend. Uh, Aguilar sends it into the box. Montez just figures out a way to get her head on it, sends it into the back of the net, 2-1. And and I felt, we, I felt like we really um, had a chance once we scored that goal. Like, we were, we were looking good. Yeah, I mean... Obviously, I knew the result already, so I, w- I was curious to see how the game would play out from there. And you know, honestly, like I didn't think the next ten minutes had a ton of a ton of action. Uh, I, I don't have anything down in my notes. It, it just felt like you know there was a game being played, and and Alabama was starting to start managing the game. And they were starting uh, to they were starting to tire out. You could see it. Yeah, were, and, and so like they were trying to they were trying to take you know large spells of like just have some possession. Like and it was don't ex- do anything dangerous. Don't push numbers. It was extremely hot. So the I was very very happy with how we managed our subs and how yeah. our our players really kept pressing for it. Um, and that's a tough position to play in. And I do not envy any of that. And I, I hate the afternoon games. And by the way, I hate doubleheaders. I understand it's probably a good idea to do one once a year just so a few people that overlap that no, no, don't normally overlap will overlap and you get a few more people at the men's game maybe and a few more people at the women's game that wouldn't normally overlap but i'm so glad we don't do them regularly they suck like they it's just <laughs> so much it's just so so much yeah it 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 seemed like a lot uh and i know i know a lot of people are still recovering uh we kind of fast forward to the 60th minute really big opportunity for Jasmine Marquez um the ball kind of just kind of trickles to her uh, with a little bit of space and she just can't quite keep it down. Uh, really could have been a big opportunity. And, and I think she'd like to have that one back. Uh, there was, there was a defender in her path as well uh, to make the angle a little bit tougher. Uh, but we make, we make a couple subs. Uh, uh, Damaris Gaines and, and Kaylee Burrell come in uh, for the two forwards uh, there's another good chance in the 62nd minute. Uh, and I, I just have my notes here, like we're just so much better in the second half. Like we're, we're getting to some 50, 50 balls. We are, uh, we are, we're just, we're in the match. We're starting to create some stuff. Uh, not a lot of big chances yet. Those came a little bit later, but uh, I definitely knowing the result before watching the match, I can understand why the feeling among the supporters was, you know, the second one is definitely coming. Like we've got a shot to do this thing. And uh, yeah. And, and then, you know, then we, there's a moment where, where Caitlin Caminade gets injured in about the 68th minute and uh, it didn't look great. She had to get helped off. Um, and, and we, we definitely hope that she's okay. 
looked like a, from the supporter section, it was right in front of us, looked like a sprained ankle, didn't actually see her ankle, but the way she was holding it and the direction she went down, yeah, pretty sure it's a, a sprained ankle. I think there's another interesting thing that happens a, a few minutes later. There's 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 some, uh, Caminiti's injury takes a little, a little bit of time uh, for her to get off the field and for the substitution to get made. And, uh, and, and in the 76th minute, Maddie Avery, a defender uh, who started, I believe, the first game for us in defense against Nashville, comes in for uh, Damaris Gaines. And she plays up top. Uh, and, and obviously, we're chasing a goal at this time. And it seemed like uh, her instructions were to, like, play as a kind of a target forward. And... Uh, it was interesting. I don't know. I don't know if it necessarily. I don't know if it necessarily worked incredibly well. But also, we got a lot of chances towards the end of the game. Yes, Alabama had had mostly bunkered and, and worked for the counter. But uh, I don't know. It, it was it was interesting, and it kick, it kickstarted a really good period for us here. We get a we get a nice shot in the 77th, 78th minute or so. Uh, I think there's a shot from Maddie Avery in the 83rd. Uh, I'm not exactly 100% certain. It was hard to tell from from my angle on the stream. Uh, and I need to go back and look, but that shot that's produced is off an incredible, incredible ball. Uh, a little bit, of, a little bit of techers, uh, and then just a little, a little cut in. Uh, a little cut in through ball that takes out a couple defenders and leads to a great shot opportunity. Uh, and I'm not sure who played the ball. I really need to figure that out. It could be Burrell. It could be CC. Uh, Burrell was pretty far back. And uh, in, in the next, in the next cycle. So but, in, it was interesting. It's interesting. Like uh, when a Caminiti's injury first happens and Atlanta slides over to left back, for a minute there, which was fun because I think that might be the only defensive position she had not played yet uh, this year. <laughs> um, and then I think they switched it around, and but I'm not sure who went to left center back. I was too busy trying to think, organize I cheers think, at that point and freaking out that we were going to score. I need to go think, back and watch. Uh, I think Callet was still at left center back this whole time. Anna Leonard moved from right center back to correct, left back. Correct. And and Addie Gamash moved to right center back, back for a stretch. I, I think she went to right center back there for a minute before, and then Anna Lanter went out left, and then. Things switched around. I think, and, I, I think they switched at some point. Yeah, probably that would make sense. Um, that would make sense. But yeah, yeah, we need to go back uh, and see who played that ball. But I do remember that chance. I remember that big chance, and it was just, just didn't quite come I, off. The, the the pass the pass makes the chance. Uh, and if and if you've seen, if you think back to some of the the last few games on the men's side, uh, an incredible pass can create a chance, and. Uh, I thought I thought more so than the North Alabama game um, last week. I thought that that our game, the women's game on Saturday, had a lot more of these types of opportunities. Uh, there were a couple of big chances created through some really clever passing, yeah. and, uh, and and that's and that's good to see because that's that's evolution and growth and learning of 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 how to play how to play football. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I will, a couple things here. Number one, I miss you having EPB because you're cutting in and out just a little bit. I think listeners will be able to hear you, but there's a little bit of inter- internet interference. So damn you, Canada. Um, and then number two is, I think um, we looked like 
the first half of the last Alabama game at, at their place, we looked like pretty even. And then the second half, they looked like just the better team. I felt like this game, we just looked like two pretty even teams. Yeah, I would and, agree with that. And I think that that is not due to them missing one player. Um, I don't think there's that much onus on one player. I think this is a lot of growth from our our players and our team. Uh, and that's good because I think Alabama's the second best team in the conference after Nashville. I think Nashville is pretty clearly, unfortunately for us, the best team. Um, and if you look at the score lines, it's pretty clear they are. They're beating everybody by about five goals. Um, so I, I'm happy to see that growth. And now I want to see, hopefully, this Knoxville game. I know we're a little banged up. Um, but yeah, I want to see some a chance for some points here. We'll see what happens. But Knoxville, Knoxville will be on short rest as well because they played on thanks Sunday. Yeah. So both yeah. teams will have both teams will be on short rest. Uh there was there were a couple more chances towards the end of the match. Uh mostly like little half chances that were close to coming off. I do want to point out that MJ Park absolutely hit a howitzer. Uh that was a, a looping and like just dove under the crossbar. The keeper was just right there to palm it up in the 97th minute. So their keeper was very good on high balls. Um, Caroline Johnson yeah. and I talked briefly about this after the game. Um, and like, yeah, just she was probably good overall. I didn't see her have to make a lot of saves left and right for whatever reason. She had a lot of balls hit just a little bit to the left or just a little bit to the right and high. And man, did she go up and get a bunch of them that, I, including that yeah. last one that like, just so close, just so yeah. close. And and there's a lot of keepers in this league. You know, we, we said earlier in some of these podcasts, like you want to shoot on on goal because some of these keepers are not very tall and it's a big yeah. goal, same size goal. So I, I thought she really did a great job, unfortunately for us, in taking some shots that I think if we had taken those against um, the, I don't know about Nashville because we didn't get a lot of shots against Nashville, but against Huntsville, for example, or sorry, North Alabama, against North Alabama last week. Um, yeah. Several of those shots that we took today that she went and got, I think, go in. Um, but, you know, you got to you gotta make the shots that get past the players you're playing against that game. So, unfortunately, yeah. we, those did not go in. So that that can, that basically concluded proceedings. 2-1 uh, loss, but overall, a lot of positives. It sucks to lose always, but a lot of positives and a lot of a lot of building to come from from that one and another opportunity for for three points against uh against the team from Knoxville on Wednesday. Yeah, definitely. Shout out to Caroline's dad um who was at the game. Um nice always nice to meet player parents. Um I I don't know if mom was there too. I was it was a blood of a blur, but I met I met dad and he was very nice. Um shout out if you're listening pops. Um yeah, that was it sucks to lose. It really does. Um it's one of those things that I'm glad we saw growth and that's what I'm going to try to take out of this game emotionally. Like we saw growth. We saw, we played better. We, whatever, but it also just sucks to lose. So I know that the players are not happy having lost. Um, I know they're not feeling good about having lost. So yeah, I hope, hopefully we can get another result um, this week before, before we get, we start getting to a few more games that, that happen. Uh, you know, we have two in a weekend, for example, coming up here soon. So Wednesday's a big game, and hopefully we uh, we come out looking like we looked um, in the good parts of this game, and and get rid of some of those shaky mistakes. And I think we can. We haven't played Knoxville, so who knows? But you know, uh, we've got a long history of beating uh, Knoxville teams with a force in their name. So let's go. All right, yeah, absolutely. Anything left on the women's game? No, I, I think that I think that covers it. Uh, 
you know, I sometimes sometimes the best thing that can happen after a loss is a is a midweek match. So yeah, uh, let's uh, let's get out there and and I, I obviously I will not be there uh, considered where I am right now. But if you're in town, like get out there and support them and and help. Let's bring back another dub. Matthew, it's not too late. You can get on a plane. I will not be getting on a plane. I'm terribly sorry. All right. All right. All right. On to the men's game. Um, grudge match. This one. We have our old coach, Peter Fuller, coming back to town with uh, five players connected to, at least with CFC ties. Uh, let's maybe remind listeners if they if they aren't aware. So Peter Fuller was um, not renewed at the end of last season. And you know if you've been listening to this podcast a while, you've heard us talk about how we played last year, how we're trying to play this year, how we are playing this year, this, that, and the other. But uh, Fuller was immediately hired um, at Syracuse. And he has put together a team up there that includes some former CFC players, including Sean Russell, who started and wore the captain's armband, uh, Kyle De Silva, center back, who played both those guys played a lot of minutes. Sean played, you know, Sean. Sean was substituted at halftime. No, I'm talking uh, about uh, last year play, minutes played for us. Oh, for for us, I yeah, guess, yeah I for for I CFC, Sean played um, almost all the minutes. I mean, he was a, a regular starter. Kyle at the towards the end of the season was a regular starter. Uh, Alec mm-hmm. McKinley was is also back and was a regular bench player for us. Um, came came off the bench a lot. Uh, who am I missing? Stephen McDonald, uh, trialist number two, I believe was Tri- his name. Trialist number one. Trialist number one from the App State game away. He actually scored a goal. He was not given uh, the name credit, but we we know he did. And then KJ Caleb Jackson from uh, 2020 is back and healthy. He probably would have been on the team last year, but he was out the entire year rehabbing a knee injury. Um, so a lot of CFC ties. Am I missing anybody? I think that was all no. Five. That was that That's was the, that was the crew, and I, and I just want to point out that you know, I this is probably the first time. This is definitely the first time we've played a former coach. It is definitely. Um, it is it is the first time I can remember. We've we've played against a player that played for us uh, before. It's happened a couple times, but this is really the first time where it's like players that were like longtime stalwarts. Uh, or, or you know, for several years, most of these guys like there, there, there's history. There's, you know, you know, whatever. Like, none of those guys are back here, right? Like, a lot of them had a point to prove. Um, and and you just never, you just never know how how games like that are going to go. And I do want to point out uh, about about KJ. It's great to see KJ back and healthy. Uh, you know, we didn't. He had he had a good independent cup. Really came on, was playing well in twenty twenty independent cup, and got hurt. I think thirty seven minutes into the the Michigan Stars game, uh, and we didn't see him again. It's nice that you remember how many minutes into the Michigan Stars game before he got hurt. <laughs> I I have all the data for a reason. Uh, so I mean, it, it's just great to see him to, to see him back and healthy and playing. And he's got a few goals uh, for them this year. So and and let's let's remember. Uh, that we were supposed to play Syracuse very early in the season in Syracuse. You and I were both there and it just starts snowing two hours before the match is supposed to kick off and we don't end up playing the match. So that gave Syracuse more time to prepare and and, and to practice because they had been together for two weeks at that point. Literally it was two weeks at that point. Yeah. Uh, And and obviously, we were not. We are not the team uh, right now that we were then. 
I, uh, we've talked about the evolution and tactics. We've talked about some players, you know, coming on. Uh, so it, it was really uh, going going into the match. What were you? What were you thinking? I was terrified. Uh, here, <laughs> it's so it's it's a little bit like, and I'm going to steal this from somebody else, uh, but I don't know if he wants his name on this. But it was a little bit like seeing your ex girlfriend or your ex wife come come back, right? Like I don't have an ex wife, but I definitely have some ex girlfriends. And it's like, you know, you still love your ex-girlfriend on some level, depending on how you split, obviously. But, you know, if you split on good terms. Um, so as fans, like, I'm seeing my, you know, P- Peter Fuller in this case, uh, at, who's like kind of my ex-girlfriend in this in this weird analogy. And, like, I'm looking at him and I'm going, man, this guy's had the, you know, he's been really good against Rod teams in the past. Um, yeah. We were really good. We were not great last year. CFC wasn't, but CFC was pretty good against Stumptown, including the game we lost. Um, so... I was nervous, and I was also nervous about some bad luck. I knew these guys would come in with a point to prove. I knew they would come in very, very ready for it. This would be their Super Bowl, as it is for most teams in this league. This is their Super Bowl, because this is the only team that, um, and I'm not trying to just blow our, toot our own horn here, but like this is the only team that's got fans. It's the only place you're playing in front of fans. So previously there was two places, right? It's Detroit and here. Those are your two Super Bowls. Now it's just here. So these NISA teams come in here with a point to prove, and then you have five players with ties to Chattanooga, um, none of whom, to my knowledge, had contract offers from us. So they were all either cut or didn't sign. I mean, I, none of them I know that I know, and I'm not trying to like you know do any inside baseball things here. But I don't think any of them left on, on their own voli- of their own volition. Now maybe they didn't want to come back. Maybe there were some negotiations that I'm not privy to. But as far as I know, none of those guys had contract offers, or none of their options were attempted to be picked up if they had options. So that means you have guys coming to town who have a point to prove, and you have a coach coming back to town with definitely with a point to prove. And you saw that play out very clearly in this game. So I was very very nervous that we would get an unlucky bounce. They would score a goal early. And then, you know, we would do a Flower City, basically, and just hit the bar 16 times. That was my pessimistic sports fan nerves. Um, Turns out Taylor Gray was having no part of that, and he fucked that plan up, thank God, from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, like, the game... I think that game could have gone a lot differently. But we were just... Sometimes, like, when you get the first chance and you convert the first chance early, whole game is different. What did, uh, and, what, what did Rod say? I know we've met, we probably, people, listeners are probably tired of hearing this, but like Rod said, you got to, the first big chance you get, you got to put it away. And that second big chance you get that you should score, you got to put it away. Because then yeah. teams don't have hope. And I we really did that in a lot of ways. I don't think they had any hope. Um, you know, they, they tried. Like I'm not saying they didn't play hard, but I don't believe at any point during that game they had hope. Because we, that first goal was an absolute backbreaker. We dominated for the vast majority of that game. And that penalty came in the 30th. The first goal comes in the 5th. The penalty comes in the 30th. The penalty is beautiful. Uh, Let's start with, I guess, the first goal, right? Yeah, so so Richard Dixon plays the ball over the top. And uh, this this was a pretty common theme uh, on Saturday night. But found Brett Jones in some space. And... Brett's got to do a lot of work in, in this particular moment. He's got to get to the byline and he's just trying to like play it back into the box and really, really good, uh, good effort by him to get to the ball in the first place. Uh, did I hear Canadian, did I hear Canadian sirens in the background? Yeah, you did. Oh no, Matthew, what did you do? Uh, are you, are, you, are you in Canada because you're an international fugitive? Well, I'm not Lawrence Gerard, so no. Pit softball. Home run. <laughs> All right, so uh, Brett has a lot to do. 
Yeah, so so he just he has to do a lot just to get to the ball. He plays it first time uh, down to Marcus, who has a who has Kyle De Silva defending him right there, and Marcus takes Marcus right. does Marcus does really really well to to kind of like settle the ball first, lets it come down to his feet, and then he just kind of turns and plays it across. I think and he realizes. Zeros, I think he realizes he's not going to be able to get a shot off. As soon yeah, as he yeah, starts correct, to settle, correct. He was not. He was not a position for a shot. And he, but he makes. He gets the ball essentially. If my, if my, with his right foot behind the back of Kyle, like he's, yes, like the way it yes. settles, like the ball's on the other side of Kyle, and since he can't get a shot, he like reaches around him and just plays it across the goal. It's very yeah, and, cool. And Ian Sarah's in the box there. Uh, he's going for the ball. Defender's going for the ball. The ball is just, just squeaks through everybody, and Taylor Gray is just sitting there with. An open goal, uh, and obviously Gagliardi, the Syracuse keeper, you know, makes a makes an attempt at the save, but he's going the he's trying to come back across the box. He's going the wrong way. Yeah, no chance. No chance. One Ted, zero. Not only does he put not only does he put it on target, he puts it high with his right foot to the right side of the goal, and Gagliardi's going left because he thinks it's a tap in, and it is like it's just it's just smash home. Pandemonium ensues because. One of my favorite things, so my very favorite thing is when players come and celebrate with the Chad Williams. That's my favorite thing. But this happens on the far side of the field, so not going to run all the way to us. Perfectly fine. He runs straight to the corner flag. The whole bench engulfs him, and it is, there's a picture uh, of him and Roddy as they're running up, um, whatever you want to call it. They're jumping up, but instead of chest bumping, they're like hip bumping. It's like, it's like that like side bump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, and I don't know what it's called, but it's I, you see it in sports all the time. Guys jump up and hit shoulders or hit hips, and it's such a good picture. It's so good. The celebration's awesome. Everybody, the entire bench comes in and is jumping on each other. Like, you just see how much it means, and you can see what, at least to me, from the outside, looks like a really tight-knit team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, we're and, in, and we're in the sixth minute. We're flying. Yeah, and, and then, you know... Syracuse did not create hardly anything all match. So, like, I mean, this this thing is pretty much done and dusted right now. Uh, there's there's some really good possession play from us. Uh, I thought we handled the press really well because uh, because Syracuse put a press on it and, and it was it was not a bad press and not a bad idea the way they were doing it. Uh, but there were some moments where. You know the press would be on. We would turn. We would find find the forward pass. So, uh, and then there were and then there were moments where like where Tate and and Travis Ward as the outside backs would get pinned in for a second, and then would fake a guy off and just dribble ten yards and break the press that way. Extremely extremely good recognition of when to when to pass, when to dribble. Um, just just I thought it was excellent excellent team performance so we did not do a detailed um breakdown for this game like we did for the women's game so i don't have what minute these two things happened in um and sorry boys just didn't do it um the uh i did rewatch though i was able to rewatch the men's game because i saw less of the men's game i saw more of the women's game in person so in preparation for this i rewatched the men's game but i felt like i was feeling decent about the women's game anyway i on the rewatch there's there are basically three moments. Travis does it twice. And he may have done it more than twice, but he has a scoop. So he looks like, because he's right foot and he's playing left back, oftentimes he's going to cut in on his right foot towards the middle of the field to go by somebody. So he was on the sideline with the ball at his right foot. Um, and then he would just, 
like with facing in and it would he would kind of fake like he was going to go in and the defender would jump in to cut him off because assuming that he was going to go in and then he would just scoop the ball with his right foot forward and then suddenly he's on his left foot and he's two yards by like just the simplest yeah. moves of all he just like shapes his hips like he's going to go in the defender jumps and it goes by him like a normal left back would except you wouldn't let a normal left back go it was just the simplest of soccer moves but really good soccer IQ and just really good taking advantage of and then he was Travis Ward, as we said on this podcast, a bunch is a wild card. And every time he would do that, it would destabilize the whole defense because yep. he was then moving into space and their press. There's two different ways we handled the press. Um, and then I want to talk about one of Tate's touches as well. But uh, there were kind of two different ways we handled the press. We, all season, even when we've been playing, I feel like, less well, especially offensively, we have handled presses and handled whatever, except against Valley United where maybe we had our worst um, stretch. But it turns out they were cheating, so it doesn't count. Um, <laughs> even against Atlanta United, we handled the press as best we could by possessing the ball and passing backwards and around, right? So working the ball to the open man, it is really, really tough to press all the players at the same time. And when you were receiving the ball, facing the our goal, because somebody's passing it to you from back, the easiest pass is back to the same person who passed it to you or back to the person beside them. So we have, we've been always been very adept at making those triangles work. And that's normal. That's good. That is, was a feature of Rod's teams last year. Um, and I think that's something that we really expected um the problem is like as as our uh, ex-girlfriend was uh, fond of saying possession without penetration is masturbation like if you don't do something with the ball you just have the ball you're not gonna uh you're not gonna go score like the difference right now in how we're playing and the way we handled this press and the way we're handling things is the possession is becoming very dangerous and yeah. i'll give the specific example that i saw um specific examples that happened several times so Previous to now, the ball, when the pressure came, got recycled backwards, which is very normal. There's, I have no problem with that, other than it's annoying if that's the only passes that get made. One of the things that happened that we've talked about before is that we now have wingers, so we're getting the verticality. But in this game, I felt like we really saw the next level of that verticality because the ball was coming in, the players were turning, the press was coming straight towards them on running, on rushing. And instead of, and this wasn't every time, but often... They were turning and then taking the ballsy pass, which was through the line. So if you have a line of four players, oftentimes, and I have a theory about the inverted eights here, by the way, that I want to get out there into the open. But if, if you have four players on the defensive line, for example, normally if the ball is going to go to the right back or the winger who is making a run down the right sidelines, it's going to go outside, uh, often at least, outside on the sidelines next to the right back between the right back and the sidelines. Not always, but that's the, often the way it's, the ball's going to end up getting played because that right back is going to be a little bit further in the field, so that's where the space is, is on the outsides of them. I think that's very normal. And if you're a right-footed player playing in the 8-10 channel, right, so you're in the kind of in the middle of the field on the right side, you're going to play to your winger around them. One thing that happened, and it kind of didn't matter who was playing it, but this happened with Ian Saro, who dropped deep to pick up the ball a lot, and this happened with... Um, Ian Sarah when he was forward, but also with Alex McGrath. It just happened with all the different players, and Richard Dixon too. They would receive the ball, turn, and then make a pass to either an overlapping fullback, whether it was Tate or Travis, or oftentimes Taylor, or especially in this game, Brett Jones, who came out on absolute fire. He did not get a goal, but his effort level, which is always good, he's always been a very like hardworking player. It's the thing that's good about him. Like was just on a whole other level the other night. The ball would go inside between the center back and the outside back. And so the ball is then 
getting run onto and vertical. So the player, instead of, and to tie all that together, you have a press that's oncoming. Instead of the ball being rotated back, the player is turning, facing the defense. The press is coming right towards them, and they're immediately playing the ball through the line, not around the line, but through the line to a player that's at a dead sprint, and suddenly we're two or three yards ahead of the defense, and we've got verticality, the ball, and we've got space. And you see that, I think it's roughly the 22nd minute. Roughly, It's before Marcus's penalty. Taylor gets... Um, the ball gets played to Brett on one of those. Brett crosses it in, and Taylor kind of scuffs the shot at the top of the box. I mean, he hits it, and it gets to the goalkeeper. It's just not hit as well as he would, yeah, I'm yeah. sure, like. Um, Tate had another couple of those during the game, and then Tate also had a play where he touched it, spun, similar to his um, that play that he did uh, at right back, maybe against LA Force? Was LA it? Force Legends Cup. Uh, Legends Cup, where he passed it to, Sam, to um, uh, Cam Woodfin. I almost said Sam Woodfin. Sorry, Cam. Cam Woodfin. Uh, shout out, Cam who made the back heel, like it was a very similar touch to that where he, sp- he touched it, spun around, left the defender for dead, and then went back and got the ball. Just both of the fullbacks were really, really smart in, in making those moves, doing things on the sidelines where they kept the space. But also in this game, our possession was dangerous because we were brave with the ball, not dangerous with the ball, brave with the ball. Our players were mm-hmm. making the runs and the timing and the precision was just up a whole nother level. And I'm, the, a couple of you guys said this after the game. This is not what I said, but I would. I, I think this is probably the case. And I'll, I'll add one caveat outside of Cal United, but because we haven't played them yet. But outside of Cal United, there's nobody in this league right now, and I don't know if Cal United is going to beat us. But I'm just saying they're they're very good. Nobody is beating us. We're only going to beat ourselves. That's what the, one of the guys said. A couple of the guys said actually when we were talking after the game, and I agree with that. Right now, with how we're playing we are much more likely to beat ourselves than someone else beat us because we are just hitting some RPMs that they're really, really good. So that was a long explanation to that, but I thought that the possession looked really, really dangerous as opposed to just being defensive. Um, And I thought we were really, really doing the verticality a whole several levels above how we've been doing it. And it Mm -hmm. generated chances that would get generated against any team because you could not press us. Syracuse is actually a decent team. They are NISA league average at worst. Um, it's a lot of pros on that team, a lot of decent players. Um, I, there's some players who didn't have a good night. Um, hello, Alec McKinley. Um, but like there's, there's some players on that team and we absolutely shredded them all night. All right. Yeah. I, I definitely think, uh, I, I mean like they, I, I will point out, you know, I, I thought that I, I didn't think that Syracuse was, was incredibly sharp. Uh, I didn't think they're, I honestly didn't think they were that bad. Uh, the parts I rewatched, maybe, maybe I was a little bit generous to them. Uh, they just had, they just had trouble creating anything. Uh, and we were able to keep the ball and do things with it against their pressure. That, that meant they really didn't have a lot of, um, they didn't have a lot going on. Let's, let's go back to the, to the end of the first half here. And then we can, well, we can t- talk about the Marcus penalty. Cause I just skipped over all of that. Yeah. So, so Marcus, uh, obviously Marcus uh, is one of those players that he may not be having a great game and he can still do something. And I didn't think he was particularly, uh, incredible not on, only, on Saturday night. Not but, only I want to add a caveat there. Marcus doesn't have to be having an incredible game to have an, an incredible impact on the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just need and, one and, chance. And that's that's the quintessential thing about a forward, and that's why we were, at the beginning of the season, advocating for signing Marcus or signing somebody of Marcus's talent to play forward because sometimes you just need that chance. And if you hit yeah. the first chance and you hit the second chance, 
Or if you just hit one of the chances, look at Maryland Bobcats. Like, yeah, yeah it's just you, you need someone to score. And so, yeah, talk, talk, talk me through his penalty, which I've rewatched a bunch of times. So the ball's on the left-hand side. Um, I actually forget who plays it in. It might be Travis Ward, but I don't, I don't really don't remember who plays it in. And it's just one of those things where uh, the ball comes, the ball's coming in, arriving. He's being defended by Caio Da Silva. And it's, it's one of those like good, really good Fox in the box type moves where he invites Da Silva to come in. He invites Caio to come in and he just spins him. And, um, and like, listen, like Caio makes contact and Caio makes contact. Mark, this goes down and ref the ref gives a penalty and the correct, the correct call. It's it's just one of the, well, there are no incorrect calls that, uh, that, that, you know, don't benefit us or whatever, whatever the, however no, the saying goes. That it's, it, no, the saying goes like this. There are no good calls that go against CFC and there's no bad calls that go in our favor. Um, correct. But it is also objectively the correct call. However, Marcus is turning and preparing to go down. Um, now he I, he gets impeded, like he gets kicked in the leg, but Marcus knows that Kyo's going to reach. In my opinion, on that turn. Oh he, yeah, no, those guys practice against each other for for an entire year. Like he knows Kyo, Marcus ex- knows exactly, and Marcus knows exactly what, what Kyo is going to do there, and Marcus knows exactly like what's about to happen. Like that ball's coming in. Marcus knows it's going to be a penalty, and and he draws the he, he does think, it perfectly. I think if you I think if you ask Marcus, he'll tell you that he got hit. And because he got hit, he went down. Uh, like it's a penalty. It's it both, it, but but it's, it's both. It's it's maybe a pi- tiny, tiny little bit soft, but it's also like if you're a defender, you can't, you cannot make contact there because every forward's going to go down and every referee's going to call it, which is why it's always a penalty. So it doesn't matter it, if you kick a player, trip a player. It doesn't matter how hard the contact was. If you impede them, it's a penalty. Right. I think I just think he turns in a way that he knows that Kyle's going to going to kick him. And by the way, if he doesn't yes. kick him, you know, maybe I'm not saying he's for sure going down, but he turns knowing he's going to get kicked because yes. of the way he turns, he puts the ball where Kyle can't get it. He turns in an exact way where if Kyle st- puts his foot out, which he does, he's going to hit him in the leg and he hits him in the leg and he's already he's ready to go down. Like it's perfect. Yeah. It's exactly what you want him to do. It's the it's, smart it's, play. It's why he's in the, it's why he's in the team. And it's not like you want any smart player, any good forward is going to do that exact same thing is cause yeah. the play. And by, by the way, if he doesn't foul him, he's in on goal one-on-one because the ball has been pushed around him. So like, it's yeah. the exact play you want from whoever it is. And it's just, it's awesome. And I, it, no doubt, even the goalkeeper even goes the right way. And yeah, oh, I was just going to say like, you know, like it's no surprise that Marcus was going to take that because Marcus is our penalty take, kick taker. And Goalkeeper did his homework. Uh, Daniel Gagliardi, he started for the first time uh, on on Saturday, I think, at the or on was Wednesday maybe midweek in the uh, Syracuse played Maryland Bobcats to a nil nil draw, and Gagliardi had like seven or eight saves. Uh, played pretty well. You know, he he does his homework. He knows he, he knows which way to go. He dives the correct way, but Marcus is a really good finisher. And uh, when Marcus hits the penalty right it's going in and no keeper is stopping it. And that's what happened Two zero, um, two zero, and we're, and we're through like the rest of the half was just management. Nothing. I, I don't remember anything crazy happening. Uh, just feeling, just feeling good about things. And uh, at halftime, Syracuse makes some adjustments. Uh, they switched to a back three 
Uh, they brought off they brought off a couple players, such as Stegi and uh, and Sean Russell. Uh, tried to try to change things up a little bit. And in fairness to them, the period between about the coming out of halftime to I want to say about seventy five minutes. Uh, it's probably a good a good thirty minute stretch. I thought they were they didn't create anything again. Like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna specify here. But the things that that they were struggling to do in terms of containing CFC's attack, they were able to do well. And uh, and at the same time, up to zero with a possession-based team, you now can, uh, you have the luxury of being able to make the safer passes in possession, especially if the press comes. I thought the press was a little bit better in the second half as well. But you can make more safe passes against pressure because you're up two nil, like make the safer pass. Don't turn the ball over the middle of the field. One of our biggest issues in possession in last year in 2021. And one of the reasons why we ended up going to direct play uh, in the last, in kind of the last half of the, the fall season was because we were turning the ball over in midfield and we were giving up dangerous chances. And uh, I, I thought, I thought it was a nice adjustment from, from our team this weekend to, uh, you know, we, we've got, we did the work, we got two goals. We've done what we're supposed to do, you know, not take our foot off the gas necessarily. Cause you gotta be ready for when an opportunity presents itself, but they made smarter, uh, higher percentage passes. They managed the game and managed the game. Like took but a couple they, seconds here, but they stayed, they also stayed really diligent. So those runs I was talking about didn't stop. Right, it wasn't that no, every time. So if you yeah. make the if you make that run, I was I was trying to describe earlier, and hopefully listeners got a good you know like picture of what I was trying to describe. But that run where somebody is making the vertical run, and then somebody's receiving the ball under pressure and still making that pass through the lines, not around the lines, not over the lines, but through the lines, um, through the lines. By the way, I mean lines of defensive players. Like we were still making those, and if you make those every single play, it's not going to come off because they're going to figure out how to adjust. But because we're unpredictable enough that it's only happening on some plays and other plays we're attacking in a different direction or we're attacking in a different way or they're chasing the ball because we're recycling it back. They were, we were still dangerous and we continued to be dangerous throughout the game. We had a, a bunch of dangerous crosses. Um, we had a, a missed tap in um, on the, on the back post. We had, I mean, it wasn't maybe the easiest ball, but it came through and hit Taylor gray right in the legs. Um, and then we also had like some dangerous crosses that they had to clear out. And if they scuffed one of those, um, they're in trouble. I, I so we wanna, stay dangerous. I, I want to point out that there's also uh, one of the one of the best moves that did not work of the night was the Alex McGrath pass in between lines and behind to Brett Jones. Yeah, where, where Brett goes one on one, who found himself an acres. Hey, of hey, space. by the way, that wasn't an that wasn't a uh, the one on one was not an Alex McGrath pass. It was, was a Brett, it, it was a Brett Jones interception. So I went back and rewatched it because you and I talked about it post game, and then I watched it because uh, I so, remember. So there's so there's a second moment that I think maybe goes out for a he corner. gets he gets through. So Alex played Brett through once or twice, really good balls. But the one that he's one on one with the shot on the goal, that's all Brett. Brett intercepts the ball, takes a touch, realizes that he's past everybody, takes like three more touches, and you know shoots, and the goalkeeper makes a great save. I mean, look, it's it's a tough angle because the one thing that Syracuse defense does well in that situation is push him a little bit wider, so he's coming yeah. in from the 
at an angle that we've seen Brett score from, to be fair. But he, uh, especially when he was playing, he didn't score this year from it, but in that, there's that channel that he was running when he was playing the nine, before we had changed to wingers and Marcus up top. He was playing up top when oh, Marcus yeah, was playing. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, in that yeah. same channel, and he's dangerous in that channel. And so he goes near post, and look, Galliardi makes a great save. Uh, it's it's point blank. It's left hand. Like, it's a good strong hand. And I, I'm not mad at it. Like, it's, it's a good, all of that is good. But yeah, that is the verticality, though. The th- same thing we're talking about is a thing that like was great. We also pressed, I felt like, very effectively. We were not pressing all the time, but we pressed and won the ball back regularly. And I felt like Syracuse was never particularly dangerous. I really rate Alex Cetrastegui very highly. I think he's a very good player. I also think um, Minjay Kwok is a very good player. Um, and neither one of those guys stands one kind of wild scrambling shot that Kwok got off were dangerous all game. And yeah, now, by correct. the way, I, mean, I, I think, think they sub they sub Cedric Stegi at halftime. And by the way, I think KJ is also very good, and he tripped on his, probably his best chance, and you know that's tough for him. But like we also kept him, and he never got a shot off there, so I don't know what would have maybe would have taken the ball two steps later, right? But he had one, he basically had one real dangerous moment where early on he got a shot off that was over the bar from a tough angle, and that was it. We really didn't concede much. I um, thought I thought we did a really all. good job when, when we decided to put pressure on. We angled that pressure often to to funnel the ball to one of the one of the um, usually it was usually it was to Coyote Silva. I think uh, I'll have to rewatch to get a better idea for that. Um, and then like when the pressure would go to him, he's the type of player that predominantly would look to play longer as opposed like his his short passing especially between lines and gaps, we, is not as strong. So two things that and, happen. I can and, I can tell you about, because I, I, I rewatched after you and I spoke about that. Yes, it goes to Kyo quite a bit, and he does kick it long and out of bounds a couple times. A couple times stays in. Um, there's Number one, there's hardly anybody supporting him. There's no one near him. So by the time he gets back to him, the short pass really isn't on. There might be a pass between lines that a Frankie Martinez or a Colin Stripling or a Nick Spielman hits um, that he doesn't. But I wouldn't say that he was... That, his long balls are not great out of those positions, but like he doesn't have a lot to do. But we forced him to go long and out yes. of bounds like four or five times. We also forced the goalkeeper, Galliardi, to go out of bounds and long about four times. Um, and like these were, Marcus was pushing up on the goalkeeper. We were doing different things. We don't always press the goalkeeper, um, but we were tonight. And we really forced them when we pressed. Even if we didn't get a turnover that turned into a shot, we would get a turnover because they would, they would have to, try to cycle the ball around and then it would end up getting kicked out of bounds or kicked just over everybody and to one of our center backs and then we're cycling back around. I cannot imagine how frustrating it was for them. And maybe that's why Alec McKinley got a stupid red card because they couldn't keep the ball. <laughs> uh, yeah. So th- that red card happens in, in like the 83rd minute or so. Um, and then we go, I'm like, let's just go straight to, to the Alex McGrath goal. Well, actually, because. I want to I want to go back one second. First of all, KJ, love you, buddy, but you should have had a red card before before Alec McKinley got a red card for accumulation. The referee tells him enough and then gets him fouled two more times right after that. Like he should have had a red card for accumulation. One of those is just a yellow card foul, and he already has a yellow card, and the referee just lets him off and tells him no more, and then he gets two more fouls after that. It's absolutely ridiculous. Should have been a yellow card for accumulation, just point blank. The Alec McKinley card is disgusting. And Alec, you should be ashamed of yourself. That's Richard Dixon, like your former captain, your former teammate. Like, don't slide in on somebody like that. Get fucked, dude. Don't do that. It's fucked up, man. Don't do that. Like, it's just like, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Can't do that. Um, There's no excuse for it. 
And then, yeah, moving up to bef- uh, right before the Alex McGrath goal, Damien comes in and Damien gets. It's after. It's after. No, it's before the 89th. It's after. Is the 89th minute when the challenge happens? I thought we scored the 89th. I promise you it's after. Okay. So uh, I only know this because I was watching at the wedding. I saw the goal and a couple minutes later, the uh, the Moosey tackle on Damien happens. And then my feed goes out and I get the feedback and the game's already over. Okay. So go ahead and walk us through it then. So it's one of those sequences, like the ball gets into a dangerous spot. I think Taylor Ray's got it for a second. Plays in, um, he plays in Ale. And Ale kind of gets fouled. Uh, trying to shift the ball a little bit just to keep possession. Uh, ends up playing into Richard Dixon. Richard just hits a little, a nice little square ball into space for for Alex McGrath, who takes a big touch. One, maybe maybe two, one or two touches. Touch. One or two. It's one just, big touch, and it might be a second touch. Just unfurls this little daisy, daisy cutter. cutter that just screams on on the on the ground. Uh, and into the into the bottom corner. It's not even into the corner. It's into the side netting. It's it's just it's like Marcus's penalty. Yeah, I mean, like, the it's, placement it's is nasty. perfect. The placement is it's perfect. Nasty, and uh, just like a great a great capper. Like I love. I I may not love anything more besides fouling than an extra goal that does not matter late just because. Uh, it's just like one of those things. That, like a two 0 win with an early goal and a penalty. You're like you know good performance, great job. Like got the job done, like whatever. But a third goal for just shits and giggles, like in the stoppage time or whatever it was, like is just excellent. Yeah, yeah it's good. And it, sh- it also showed that we stayed dangerous. Um, we didn't just pack it, it up. And, and, we did, and we did stay dangerous. We were, yeah. Gotta, and I mean, and look, you guys got a reward we haven't, for it. We haven't talked about the Marcus chance um, before we get to the Damien chance, or before we get to the Damien, uh, what should have been a red card, is Marcus had a chance in the box. There's a scramble. The ball drops to him. And... Um, Campbell, who came in at halftime for them, and I thought he was very good. And by the way, I, I thought Kyle De Silva was good outside of the penalty. Um, he did; he's a good athlete, and he did a lot of athletic defending, including uh, blocking a Taylor Gray chance um, early on. Anyway, I thought Kyle was pretty good, but Campbell, I really thought was a big reason why they did not concede more in the second half, including Marcus getting the ball that drops to him, and Campbell makes a last ditch dive effort, just blocked what would have been a, in my opinion, a sure goal. It's just, it's great. There's nothing Marcus can do differently. Really? Uh, it's just, you know, the ball settles, he kicks it hard and like Campbell comes out of nowhere with a slide, but I thought Campbell was really good. And I thought that, um, yeah, they kind of missed him maybe in the first half a little bit. Might've been something that Fuller got wrong in his lineup selection. Um, or maybe, you know, maybe the adjustment was bringing him in and that's why it worked. But, uh, I did think that they were unlucky. We were unlucky to not be up three nothing before yeah. we we scored the other goal. Is kind of what I'm getting yeah. at there. Um, then you know, Damian and Ferreira have come in. Ferreira for um, Marcus, and, and it's nice to see Ferreira starting to get uh, minutes after last game where he was effective off the bench as well. Um, so Ali Jaimes has come in. Luke Ferreira has come in, and uh, Ali Jaimes came in for Ian Cero. and then Damian has come in for Brett. And uh, Damian gets the ball played to him. He plays the ball out wide, just as he does, dribbles past. Um, and he shoots the ball out wide, and he's going to get to the ball. And Moosey is already committed to sliding and absolutely upends him in what should have been a, it, it was a clear red. Uh, it's, it's dangerous play. I don't care. I'm sure that the referees like, didn't do it on purpose. I'm sure it has to be based on intent because he hits, like, they, like Damian gets hit by Moosey. Like, Moosey's enormous, and Damian's not. And so Moosey's sliding, and he's he of course misses because Damian just puts the ball right around him and is trying to run. And Damian jumps and he hits Moosey right in the chest, who's sliding, and he gets comes up, does a full front flip, and you know lands and was down just for a, a while. And I was very worried, um, but that was a clear red. 
an absolutely, I'm sure there was no intent there, but he goes down early and there's nowhere else for Damien to go and he does not get the ball. Like it's, it's just, it's a clear red and that referee fucked that up. They should have been down to, uh, by this point again, because Caleb Jackson should have got one for accumulation. They should have been down to eight players at this point. This game was chippy and uh, Syracuse was very lucky not to be playing with three less players uh, next week and three less players for the rest of that game. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've only seen that tackle once, and it was live, and I, I was so I did, very drunk. I did not see it live um, because I was turned around, um, yelling something at or around or with the drummers. I don't, I don't remember what we were doing, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't see it live. I only, but the reaction from the crowd was the biggest reaction, including the goals all game. It was just a visceral, like, ah! you know, screaming, you know, some. I mean, he literally did a front flip, so like right in front of us. But it was—I I rewatched it. It's bad, man. It's—it's it's terrible. And and Damian's fine. I spoke with him after the game briefly um, when he was giving high fives. I was like, "Are you okay?" And he was like, "I'm fine. I'm good. I'm okay." Um, but yeah, he's uh, that. We were, we were lucky he didn't get hurt on that play. Yeah, because and and Moosey should not be have been still in the field. So the game ends shortly thereafter. Three nil win. Um, on a good run now, that's four wins and, and, and four for the men. Um, and it puts it puts us up into into first place in the East. Uh, still doing a little dance with the Michigan Stars, uh, who, who got a three 0 win uh, against Flower City as well. Um, so that uh, that matchup with the with with Michigan Stars in in what two weeks now that should be a uh, delicious. Uh, especially with the contrasting styles, uh, but we go out to we go out to Bay Cities on Saturday. Yes, and then we're uh, away to LA Force on the following Wednesday, and then back home against Michigan Stars. Uh, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough stretch. Uh, it's gonna be a tough stretch for the guys. I I would imagine that there will be a little bit of of rotation for for fitness somewhere in the stretch, uh, and. I mean, this will be the first. I think this will be the first time we go. We go without any, without more than five days rest uh, for any match uh, at, to this point. So, once once we hit uh, the LA Force match, will be the first time. This will certainly be our toughest um, because, it's, especially because I wasn't one of our wasn't one of our Open Cups, but right before or right after a weekend game. Uh, it was like a Thursday after a Saturday. We did a we did a Wednesday after a, a Friday. I'm sorry, Wednesday after yeah, Wednesday after a Friday. Uh, so this is we're going to be going to so, well, Saturday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. And the thing that makes I think yeah. this one more difficult is we're flying across the country. Big time change, long travel day. It's not like these guys are flying. Um, they're flying commercial, right? It's not like they're flying in a private jet with uh, you know whatever. So it's it's going to be a tough travel day. Go to play Bay Cities, who are not bad. Now we beat the brakes off of them a couple weeks ago, and hopefully we do the same again. And then LA Force, who are not playing well, but are a very talented team and will change the venue on you five minutes before the game, maybe. So it gets, gets difficult there. And, you know, hopefully there's a stream for that one because they'll, you know, sometimes there's not. And then, I don't know, after that, we're coming right home I mean, to Michigan they'll, Stars. They'll be, they'll be flying home on a Thursday, you know, just doing recovery and, and and a little bit of match day, you know, pre-match training on Friday, and then game, match day on Saturday. And the Michigan Stars are even more Michigan Starsy than they were previously. Like they were all six foot three, and now they're all six foot five. They're all enormous. So if we get a, if we are able to come out of that California game with six points, which the way we're playing, like 
that's what you got to hope for. I'm not predicting that. I would be very happy with. Actually, let's do, let's let's. Here's a question for you, Matthew. What results? Not the home game because we want to win every home game, right? Um, I think you and I agree that three points is the expectation at home all the time. Yeah. For the men's yeah. team, especially, especially especially with this team. Yeah. But just in general, yeah. But so the, the way this team the way this team is playing and the like the players that we have and how how this has been put together, yeah, three points at home every every night. Okay, so looking at that, um, now we have the, these two, this West Coast swing, Bay Cities, then um, LA Force. How, what are what results would make you? What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? What's your goal? Like, get, talk me through those. Goal is six points. Uh, I think six points is achievable. Uh, I wouldn't be mad with four uh, um, if a win and a draw. Uh, I'll be I'll be annoyed with a loss. Uh, truly. Uh, Bay cities, we know who they are. They are essentially trying to play a version of how we play. And uh, and and I, I just they came they the game they played against us was their third game in eight days with I think like something like 14, 15 players making the trip. Uh, and they were in vans from Maryland to Michigan, Michigan here. So that's not easy. I expect they will be better. Uh, I, I expect they will be better at home, and it'll be a tougher match. But but we beat the shit out of them last time. I mean, they got those two goals, but like we were we conceded low percentage chances in that game. That game should have been four nothing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like I still like our chances to win both of those games. Uh, I really do. I think you know each match is an opportunity and. You know, the guys have to every single match have to come out and, and prove themselves again. And I I don't I it's never easy to do a West Coast swing. It's just not. So um Yeah, I could not agree more. But like but but the vibe the vibes with this team are really good right now. And and I'm a vibes only kind of guy, so I'm hoping I'm hoping to Hoping to get two wins on the road. With all the dumb, nerdy shit you and I have said on this podcast, you cannot say you are a vibes-only guy. It does not work. Um, so I could not agree more. You said it perfectly. Um, look, I will, away from home, the minimum acceptable is a point. Um, I think with the way we're playing right now, anything less than four points would be a disappointment. Um, you know, if we get a, if we get a win in the draw, uh, I'll be satisfied. I think the goal has to be six. I think it's very achievable because of how we're playing right now. But I'm also can I can I say something else that I think sure. also matters here. If if we stumble our way into four points, I'll I'll be a little I'll be a little concerned. You know, if we if we get four points and we're the better team in both games, and it's just like it's like one of the it's like the Flower City game. It's just like one of those things. I'm I'm more likely, or honestly, even get three points or something, and it's just like one of those games, or even two of those games. Uh, what I care about over the long over the long term is sometimes results don't go your way, and that's just something that's just not in your control. Sometimes things happen. Soccer is a stupid sport. I don't know why we all care so much, but as long as we continue to play well, and I think we've played well, and and I think we've been the better team. Uh, on the bounce, the better team in every game we've played this season, with the exception of at Valley, who, you know, fraud, had fraudulent cheaters, green card players. Cheaters, cheaters. Uh, and Atlanta United. 
And, and by the way, I thought we were, we were the better team against Memphis. Who's like what top five in USL championship right now. Something, something ridiculous. Like they're up there in the Eastern conference. Uh, so as long as we continue to play well and to, to play our game, the, the game that, that Rod wants has envisioned for them to play, as long as we continue to play well and create some chances and don't give up high percentage chances, I like, I will like, I still like the direction we're going. And ultimately, you know, we need to have as, mu- as many points as possible so that we can, uh, we, so number one, we make the playoffs. Number two, that we have uh, home field rights for the playoffs. And from there, you just see what happens. This is going to be a really big litmus test for for this group. Um, it's a we have only played one West Coast team. Uh, I mean, I guess te- technically we played just that Valley image doesn't count, um, right? I mean, it does count, but like because they were cheating, it's hard to take really good like stuff away. Like they were very very good. They were probably the best team in Nisa pre getting caught cheating. Um, they were absolutely the best team in Nisa, but they were caught che- cheating. And by the way, now they're they might still be decent. But my point being is like, we're going to find out a lot playing Bay cities at their place after we have to travel. We have the difficult circumstance. Um, and I think we're seeing a little bit of a home field advantage this year in a good way. And I don't, for whatever reason, the last two seasons, we really haven't seen that much of a home field advantage. Don't know why, but um, we're just, we're looking like we're playing better at home. So it'll be interesting to see what we do um, on this road trip. And if we come out with six points, you know, we're it's, it's us and Cal United as a team to beat, right? Teams to beat Earths are still yeah. early. Um, I, I agree with you on the I want to see us play well and that's the most that's probably the most important thing but we got to keep racking up points because those games come thick and fast. Yes they do. And once they do an injury or a, or fatigue or whatever else can really wreck stuff and we just got to keep going. So we get 4 points out of this, we're in good shape. We get 3 points and then unlucky. All right, acceptable, you know. We get a draw and a loss like boy that's going to feel bad. But the good yeah. news is uh, and I've said this on this podcast, I said this to you privately before, and I'll say it again. Uh, I think it's the most important thing we need to think about is that in the middle of this season, between in the months of August and September, those are the two months where we play like 11 games, I think. Yeah. So we have 11 games in basically eight, eight or nine weeks. That is when we are, that's when our season is made or break. Like our regular season it is pinned on those games. And so not that these games don't matter, but like when we need to keep playing well, but we got to keep racking up the points because that period is the period when it gets really, really tough. So I'm really excited. And, and, and we'll play Kite United twice in that stretch. Yes. Uh, the other, who, who most people believe is the other, if we're one of the two best teams in Nisa, they're the other one. I mean, look at, look at what Cal United's done. I can't put us realistically above Cal United right now. Look at what they did in the Open Cup. Uh, look at that run. You know, they were good and they were playing 15 year olds in some of that open cup run. Like look what their record is right now. They haven't played us yet. So that's a big if, but they're good. Like, I don't know how good, but I can't look at us, which I'm, I'm feeling very good. I'm, and this is the dangerous part. This is where sports gets you, right? It's the hope that kills you. I'm feeling mm-hmm. as good as I felt in since 2019 um, about this team. And 2019, it was only that seven game stretch in the middle of the season that I felt this good. So, it is. It, we could still certainly fall on our faces. We could. There's a lot of things that can happen. We could have three players get injured, and even though we're deeper than we've ever been, like you know, it could be a problem. So I'm not predicting that everything's good, but this is a big, big run for us. And Cal United will be a big measuring stick. We just don't get them until a little bit later. So uh, yeah. the the East, I think, is pretty clearly the weaker division, which we kind of knew it would be. So 
this is the big measuring stick. Like, how how good are we against the LA Force, who were one of the best teams in NISA the last couple of years? Um, are they're struggling this year, but they're very talented. If you look at that roster, they're absolutely very talented, despite their record. And Bay Cities is decent. And so, do we come out of this with six points? Or are we feeling like we might be the best team in NISA? Or do we come out of this going? All right, still got work to do. But I trust Rod and the boys. I'm excited. And I also feel very good about the progress that's being made because we are playing better and better every single week, it feels like. I want to do something before we wrap up. Um, We've played nine games now this season. Uh, We've played seven in the league. Uh, But I I think it's a good good point to... let's, Let's do some stats real quick. So... Do it. Leading the team in goals. Uh, Leading no the su- league in goals, sir. Yeah, no, no surprise here is uh, is Marcus Neidlstad. He's got seven. Um, helped by that four-goal performance against Flower City away. It's called a haul. A haul. Which all of, sure. all of U.S. soccer fans learned it uh, at the same time when Jesus Ferreira just did it, and I learned it like two weeks before that. Uh, because Marcus did it. It's been it's been a fun uh, time to be a U.S. Men's National Team and a CFC fan on the goal scoring front the last couple of weeks. Not to be not to be outdone, but Taylor Gray's got five goals. Uh, he's our second leading scorer this year. So yeah, I want to put a little note in here. Um, number one, I was wrong so far about Taylor Gray's inability to score. Um, I think he's got more goals already than you thought he was going to score all year. I mean, look, if you're he, a negative. You're a negative dancer. And I'm going to keep talking shit if it works. So um, you know what, Taylor. I'm sorry, buddy. I don't believe in you. And I'm, you know, now you got to prove me wrong. Um, the the thing that I had asked for, if you remember in the roster building stuff, is I wanted two proven Nisa goal scorers that weren't named Brett Jones. Um, like that's, and that doesn't mean I didn't want Brett Jones to play. That meant I want in addition to Brett Jones, right? I felt like the midfield, whoever played in it based on Rod's system and Rod, the players we brought back from Stumptown were going to score goals. Um, Colin Stripling scored goals in the fall and Alex McGrath scored goals in the spring. Um, believed there would be goals out of midfield, but, I was worried about our forwards and I believed and I still believe that you need somebody to score. You need someone that scores half a goal a game, basically. Um, and, and meaning at least a goal every two. And right now we have two players essentially doing that. Um, and it, I, I, if you remember, I wanted Milongo, right? That's a guy I wanted Alex Tetrasteggi. Like I thought either one of those guys in this system, I, I wanted Marcus and we got Marcus, uh, and I believed those two guys, but and I, obviously I, now I'm, I'm starting to believe in, in Taylor Taylor's ability. Like, if we have two options, two guys that are going to score double-digit goals this year, and knock on wood, it is still early. There's no guarantees of anything, but they keep playing like they're playing. Like, we could have two guys with the kind of numbers that we believed would be necessary to be in those top teams in NISA. So it is still early. I'm not making any big prognostications, but I just want to point out there that we are at a place that we weren't at a few weeks ago but we are at a place where I feel very good about the requests basically that I had in roster building for this year is like have two guys that can score in NISA. We have two guys that are proving right now that they can score regularly in NISA and hopefully that continues. Uh, Number three uh, on our list is Alex McGrath. He's got three goals. Uh, I don't think either of us are terribly surprised by that. Uh, Ian Saro's got two goals and Travis Ward has one goal. Uh, You'll remember from the, uh, Remember from the open cup is a, uh, and this is, this is gonna be a hot take and sorry to any players listening to this. We, we love all of you. We love all of you equally, but Matthew is Alex McGrath, the best player in the team for your, for your money. I think so. Uh, j- just in, and maybe in what he does is just different than anybody else. 
uh, like he's got this, he's got this ability to, to play in a pivot, which is new to, new to, new to us. Um, he can play as a 10, you know, he really rides this like eight role incredibly well, his ability to pick up the ball and just dribble for 20 yards to make an incisive pass, uh, to join the attack and to finish, uh, He's a really, he's a really freaking good player, man. He is, he is, and playing in that in that left channel as a right footer, playing that ball between the between the right back and the center back. Um, like I was saying, I don't know if that's why Rod has him playing the inverted eights, but boy, is it working out. Yeah, he's, well, he's able to play the ball everywhere, just anywhere, and and that's what makes it that's what makes it fun. That this role, this Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva. Whatever you want to call this, these roles, if you're comparing them to world soccer, are built for Alex. Like this is this yeah. system is built for him, and he has been just as impressive, I think, as that we could have hoped. He uh, definitely and, does. He definitely does give me Kevin De Bruyne vibes. Yeah, he gives me more like Bernardo Silva vibes, but like that's more like stature because De Bruyne is a big boy. Um, yeah, and and Alex is just very, very, very mobile. And Kevin's. Like I, I, I just mobile. meant. I just meant how they how they play the game. I'd be curious. We'll have to get him on the podcast sometime. I'd be curious, like. If there's someone he models, tries to model his game off after. Uh, let's do an assist here because this I think this one's a little bit pretty interesting. You've got Brett Jones and Marcus Nadelstad leading the team with three assists each. And after that, it's uh, Nick Spielman, Ian Serio, Chris Bermudez, Luke Ferreira, and Richard Dixon all with one assist each. All right, so take out the guys with um, one. Not they don't count, but like, let's focus in on those who have multiple because it's, it's easier because there's less of them. Yeah, Jones and Nadelstad with three each. So it's so even so even though that Brett Jones, you know, he wasn't scoring goals. He was moved from the nine to the, to the right wing. He's still being involved in. Uh, he's still being involved in goal contributions. So one player I forgot to mention earlier, by the way, was Siobhan John Brown, another player that I really really wanted. Um, <laughs> that would have I think done a lot of good stuff. Uh, Brett Jones, and I just wanted to mention that was another player in the in the beginning. And I, I can't, you know, this this podcast stands for Siobhan John Brown. Um, Darn right. There, there's a transformation, um, and I don't mean transformation like completely changed, but there is a an aspect to Brett Jones' game that we did not see last year, or I did not see. Let me put it this way. I won't put words in your mouth. You can agree or disagree with this after I say it, but I don't think we saw Brett Jones as provider much. I mean, he wasn't terrible, but like he just wasn't providing the ball. He was scoring off the bench and running a lot and unfortunately was injured quite a bit or and not starting. So like you just we didn't see it, and I didn't believe just being completely honest, I didn't believe he really had that um, in his tools. Like, I didn't think he couldn't pass the ball or ever get an assist, but I wouldn't have seen him as one of the creative engines um, of that front line. Like, I just I just didn't see it. And not just like I did, I would have seen him at left wing or striker, like, and him playing right wing was a new thing. Like, he's been very good. He also has two assists, I think, to, Nagel, to Nagelstad from the middle. Like, uh, a pass... Anyway, he has some of those passes. It's not just that he has assists, but it's also the type of passes that he's made, including the one against Flower City where he just he puts it right through. Um, like basically, I don't think he quite makes the guy. Maybe he does make the guy, but he puts it right through to the other side. Marcus just like puts it across the goal. It's it's the I think the last goal Marcus scores uh, of the four. I think oh, it's his third goal. Okay, I see you holding your fingers up to me. So it's the third goal. But point being is like that's not a, a trick that I thought was really a common thing for Brett. And now right now it looks like. That's very much going to continue to be a thing. So the balance right now of this team is just very, very good. And Brett Jones is a big piece of that balance. Marcus is providing and scoring. 
Taylor scoring and then doing all the things he was doing before, he's not making the final pass. Um, he is scoring the ball, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but he's all he's making a lot of those plays in buildup. Uh, he did you? We haven't talked about his uh, essentially his rainbow flick. It wasn't like a true rainbow because I guess he didn't flick it over his back, but he did kick it back over his head over a player, head it on, and then pass it and keep the move going. Just like, just, set, just settle the ball and then like launched across. It bounces and then he heads the ball on and we're off to the races. Like it's just. I think, I think no, he doesn't even settle it. It bounces and then he kicks it back up over his head, spins around the guy. It's Neymar style. Like it's just, it's, it's really good stuff. Uh, the section one nine podcast, Instagram yes, has, that one. has that clip. Yes. Uh, it's so good. I, I, I want to point out that you're thinking of the Brett Jones pass, which go, does not meg the defender against flower city union, but he does meg the defender against Memphis. Yes. For the, for the, McGrath. McGrath. Yep. Yeah, you're right. I'm, Goal. I'm, I'm, conf- I'm not confusing. I remember both ones, but I am confusing the Meg part of it. You're absolutely right. And point being I'm is those are to... two, those are two plays that like, I didn't see Brett making. I wouldn't have predicted Brett could make, and he's been doing them regularly. And that's very, very, very good for this team. It's one of the things that keeps us balanced and has kept us like really dangerous because he's not just scoring goals, which I do believe the goals will come. I don't think Brett's a bad finisher. I think there's some finishing bad luck and good saves between the two things that I believe yeah. the goals will come for him because one thing he did do is score last year, but like the assists are happening. So he's still being very, very, very productive. Now let's go to my favorite uh, statistical category, the hockey assist because remind people what a hockey assist is just real quick. It's the second to last pass. Uh, so assists were usually we call primary assists. It's the pass before the goal. Hockey assist is the pass before the pass, before the goal. Yeah, And I think this is an important stat because if you just look at assists, oftentimes that can be a function of uh, just where the last ball was played based on, on position of the field. And I like hockey assists because I want to see, I want to see further back how goals are created. And sometimes you don't get it right. Like Marcus earned a penalty uh, against Syracuse he when he earns the penalty, he gets credit for the hockey assist. But we'll actually log that if you score the goal. Right. So earlier in the season, uh, Marcus had a penalty against Flower City Union that Ale Hymas wins. So Ale's got a, a hockey assist, and actually he earned a hockey assist against Syracuse as well. So Ale's got two hockey assists. Ian Saro's got two hockey assists. Brett Jones has two hockey assists, and then McGrath, Stripling, and Ward all have one each. So. If I look at goal contributions as a whole, taking goals, goals. assists, and hockey assists all together, you've got Marcus Nagelstad with 10, and then you've got three players with five. Uh, Taylor Gray, the five goals. Brett Jones, three assists, two hockey assists. And Ian Sarah with five as well. Two hockey assists, two goals, and a primary assist. Alex McGrath has got four, uh, three goals and a, and, a, and a hockey assist. And then Travis Ward has and an LA have of two each. And then you've got the the hockey or the a couple assists and a couple of hockey assists from Spielman, Stripling, Ferreira, Bermudez, and Richard Dixon. Out outside of so take away the take away the ones there. Um and go to the twos or take away the, even take away the twos. Uh the wildest thing there is Marcus has ten and he didn't start the first five games of the year, including the open cup. Uh and played like you know, an average, a very generous average of 10 minutes per game. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's all, that's all in the last four games. Yeah. 
And a lot of that is that we're, we're playing well. Um, I'm not saying that he would have this. I wouldn't think he'd had 10 more over those first four games because we weren't playing as well as we were. But it does show, like, once Rod made the switch to wingers and brought Marcus in, we have been very, very um, productive. And Marcus has been very, very central to that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Matthew. Uh, let's get out of here. The people uh, who might want to find you on Twitter while you're in the Great White North, uh, where can they find you? Or maybe on Instagram. I don't know. You can find me at uh, Twitter um, or on Twitter at Whiskey is Fine. And you can follow me on Instagram at I am Coniglio, and where you, I'm trying to do a little bit of Instagram storying while good, I'm up here. Good man. Good man. Uh, you can find me on the internet. You can find the Section 109 podcast uh, on Instagram and on Twitter, um, where you, mostly Jay uh, monitors those. And we will see you guys soon. Thanks.